Well, I appreciate being here. Um, I get a good flavor of the church already from uh, the prayer time this morning and just the hearts of people praying for friends and those lost around you. And that was a blessing. And it actually resonates with some of what I will speak on today. Um, yeah, so my wife, Elisa, and I, um, you know, we, we knew Steve and Yvonne, oh, 27 years ago was the last conversation we had. Um, and then there's a reconnection. Um, I got a message. I work with international students. We both work in campus ministry. She works with American students. And, and I, I get a message from someone saying there's a Saudi Arabian moving to Rockford to go to nursing school. And he was part of Bridges International somewhere else. And they contacted me and said, do you know somebody in Rockford? Well, I know Steve's heart from all those years ago, and I said, I do. And so I contacted him, and so he reached out. But then Steve said, well, um, or, you know, he messaged back, let's talk on the phone, and we talked, and, and it, uh, it just was a good connection. And he said, well, let, I have a question. I'm going to be gone. Would you be willing to, to fill the pulpit? And he said, let me ask my elders first. I'm not formally asking. But he and I met. And he showed me his journal, and he said he was praying, reading through Scripture, and, and in his journal he said, God, please provide someone to, to speak and to teach. And it was the day I emailed him. And so I think there's a connection. And so in between him informally asking me and us sitting down, um, I had in mind a passage. Uh, I didn't know he was teaching through the book of Acts, and I had no clue that he was in the book of Acts or where he would have been because I didn't know but um, and I, I just said I think I'm supposed to teach out of Acts 17 and he was in Acts and really close to Acts 17 so hopefully this is a message that will bless all of you I know it's blessed me as I've thought about it and um, and then prepared a message so thank you for having me and you know, I came to faith at the age of 22 as a senior in college. I was far from God, even though I had a church upbringing. I was the first of six children that uh, came to faith, and I thought all the weight of my family coming to know the Lord was on me. And I, I, I wanted to take that responsibility, and I started sharing with my family. But um, then I realized, as I started growing in my faith, there was a church I was a part of, and they had an adopt-a-student program. And in that, this family said, hey, we'll, we'll take you in for a couple meals a month, and you can hang out with our family. And it was a huge blessing, because I, I needed that Christian family. Well, it's the Metzger family. I grew up on a dairy farm. The Metzger family, the husband was a hoof trimmer, and he trimmed hooves at the cattle on our farm. And he was a strong Christian, and he would try to talk with my brothers and my dad and then through connections and finally eventually a few years later I joined the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ or called Crew in America um, and you know I, a family connected me with a, another family member and we were raising support and, and I meet this family and, and the Birch family and Scott sold minerals and vitamins and supplements for feed to my family and he tried sharing with my brother Bruce and my dad and so I realized God is right there even though I could look back and think I don't know if I could identify a single Christian in my upbringing nobody that really made an attempt to share Christ with me there was churchgoers but you know the difference and and I thought there, there's nobody out there but God was at work trying to reach my family and then God brought people to my life in college that I came to know him. Now for the last 31 years as a believer, I've been sharing my faith. For the last 28 years, I do it as my living, as a missionary on college campuses. And so I work for the world's largest parachurch mission evangelistic organization, Campus Crusade for Christ. So... Evangelism and discipleship, this is what I eat, sleep, and breathe. This is 
what I do for a living. This is what I've done for a long time. I've been trained in it. I live it out on college campuses. I talk to students every day for the last 21 years in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. No, knowing that this is what I do, that I wake up every day and kind of my schedule is set to do these types of things, you must think that I've got it all figured out in the way of evangelism. Well, in some ways, maybe. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that every time I go out uh, to set up a table and ask students to come and fill out questionnaires, every time I go out and do a random survey with the student sitting there, you know, in the union or somewhere on campus, uh, every time I follow up a survey or talk to a fellow student's friend, you know, I, I, get, I get nervous and I have to pray and I have to trust God every time. So I might repeat some words for the kids. I get nervous. That's a, that's a key word. So if this is how I feel, and I've done this for a long time, and I feel actually very gifted in it, and I've been trained in it, and I like doing it. But if I get nervous, if there's fear, there's some trembling for me, then I can imagine that's true for you as well. And so I want to speak to that today. We know what the Bible says about evangelism, right? We know there's a great commission where to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You know, Acts 1.8, where to be God's witnesses. He gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us to do that. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know, it's the power of God for the salvation of people, right? So we shouldn't be ashamed. Um, you know, Romans 10.15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, I've played a lot of basketball. If I take my shoes off, my feet aren't beautiful. But, you know, God says it's beautiful when we walk across the street or travel across the ocean uh, to go talk to people about Jesus. Anywhere we walk, it's a beautiful feet. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, we're Christ's ambassadors. You know, this is, we, we know these things. Yet sometimes we don't feel like sharing or we're afraid to share our faith with other people. Well, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. Um, I'm going to share a little background info about Acts 17. Um, you know, starting in verse 16. You know, it's been called the centerpiece of the entire book of Acts. So it, it's, it's a pretty significant uh, passage. It's kind of the gold standard of what does it look like to actually share your faith. Paul, um, you know, his motivation, his tone, his logic, his appeal to, to the head and to the heart, you, you see it in this passage. It's pretty fascinating how Paul navigates his preaching and his teaching and his evangelism. So when it comes to sharing the gospel... I hope that we can see, and I'm reading this for the kids, right? Um, I hope that we can see that this story, this history, is not maybe the best example of exactly what is shared, um, but how it is shared. Because there's many examples throughout Scripture, different apostles, uh, you know, Paul himself, different examples of what he shared. You know, and there's bits of the gospel, there's the essence of the gospel in all of them, but there's no like complete, exact outline of how to do it, but how to share it. Like the what is a little different here, but you hear the gospel, but how he shared it is what I want to talk about a little bit more. So here's some background, and Steve has covered some of this. I listened to a message or two, and, and so kind of know where he's at, but you know, Paul's in... Philippi, you know, a little background. You know, you might remember the conversation with Lydia, you know, and then the jailer. So this has happened. Um, and then they went to Thessalonica, and then there were some troublemakers. A riot, a big mob comes, and they do not like this gospel being preached. And then Paul goes to Berea. He compliments them. I don't know if Steve got to that, but that's kind of a cool thing because when he preached... They actually went back to the scripture and said, is this, is this accurate, what he's teaching about? And so he says they're more noble than the Thessalonians. But he's about 45 miles away, and the Thessalonians, I don't know if they heard that they were going that way, or somehow they end up in, in Berea, and they start creating a riot again. And it's getting bad, and the disciples say, 
Paul, you need to get out of here. He was the main voice, so that's who they're targeting. So they send them south 300 miles to Athens. They figured, who's going to follow Paul 300 miles to cause a problem? Now, that might happen today, you know, hop in a car and go do it. But if you're walking that far, maybe not. So now Paul's in Athens, and his friends are going to come, but Paul's there alone right now. You know, Athens is the cradle of democracy and Western philosophy. And home of, I pause for the kids, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. Okay? You know, so big thinkers. And at this point in history, it wasn't the financial or political center, but what it was, it's kind of like our modern-day Hollywood, right? Um, It's the center of... Greek culture, intellect, it's full of artists, students, writers, orators, philosophers, tourists. Its architecture is phenomenal, right? It has the um, Parthenon, Garden of Epicurus, the Porch of Zeno, thousands and thousands of sculptures. It'd be fascinating to see it in its heyday. So this is where we pick up. Paul is there, seeing this, observing it waiting for his team to to join him, and they said they'd come soon. But as he's waiting, he's not just sitting around uh, playing games on his iPhone. You know, I do that sometimes when I have a little free time. Um, But Paul is actually occupying his time. You know, he's looking around. He takes advantage of this downtime when the others aren't there, and he's just figuring things out, the lay of the land. And... What he discovers causes him distress. The city's full of idols. This is absolutely opposite of all that God is. There is one God, <laughs> no other gods beside me, first commandment. You create no images. They're doing all this. This is not good. The polytheistic culture, they believe in hundreds of gods. Historians tell us that there are some sections of Athens look like a forest of idols. Every public building is dedicated to one or more gods. The the writer uh, Petronius observed, in Athens, it was easier to find a god than a man. Like, there's just so many of these gods and statues. And as a Christian, as an ambassador of the one true God, this agitates Paul. Like, it bothers him. His spirit deeply troubled because he has compassion for God's glory. Thousands of people obviously don't know the one true God, Jesus. So this agitation causes Paul to take action. He has some kind of Popeye moment. You think of Popeye and he's like, that's all I can stand. I can't stand it no more. You know? And, and, And does he take spinach and his forearms get real big and he beats somebody up? No, he didn't do that. And that's a good thing, but we can learn something, right? Um, he doesn't, it, it doesn't lead him to worry. It doesn't bring disgust to him. He doesn't go on Facebook and gripe openly to everybody else about what he's seen. Okay? Um, what he does, it, it, it leads him to loving action. He looked around. He's not kicking statues down. He lovingly steps into this. Paul's spirit is provoked, but his behavior is restrained by wisdom and respect. And we need that when we talk to people. He doesn't judge or condemn or pick a fight. Verse 17 says he reasoned in the synagogue and in the marketplace. And this is so important to take note of and so godly of an action. You know, I sometimes feel like Paul and how must, how must he have felt when I walk onto the University of Milwaukee. 29 colleges and universities in the Milwaukee metro area. 185,000 college students. It's a bit overwhelming. I think that out of all that I see, um, you know, I I hope I honor God much like Paul as I walk on the campuses, but uh, I'm confronted by just rampant sin. We see it every day. Um, You know, the, the political correctness that we have to dance around and navigate, the justice and racial tensions that the colleges are pushing toward us, gender issues, cultural compliance training that we have to sit through, 
COVID protocols, sexual promiscuity, excessive drinking and partying, and then you, you think of the, just the late-night conversations that's just a free-for-all of anything but godliness. And I think the thing that just bugs me the most, and I don't know why, but it's when I hear girls on campus just F-bombing you know, and throwing out swear words, and it's just like, it's just so odd. It's just like, this is just normal. And then I work with international students, and you think about that. I sit across a Hindu student who believes in thousands of gods. I sit across Muslim students. I think of my friend Zubair, who was over, and we were playing pool the other night. And, and uh, you know, I love him so much. He's a dear friend. I'll take a drink right now. <laughs> Oh, I didn't expect that. But, yeah, I, you know, he doesn't believe Jesus is Savior and Lord. They think he's a prophet. They honor him. And so that's actually a platform for me to ask him questions and talk to him um, because we have that common scripture. And I do that. Um, but it's just so far from Jesus, all these international students, and I want them to know him. So we're going to enter into Acts 17, starting in verse 16. I'd like to just pray for us. Um, I don't know if what your tradition is. Do you stand for the reading of the word? I know you stand for hymns, but I think we're good. Okay, thank you. I just, um, but I'll read through this, but let me pray first. Uh, Father God, you, you tell us your word is God-breathed, and we need that. Because if it's just words, it holds no meaning, and it won't change our lives, but it has great meaning. And so... You tell us it's God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God, I pray that that would be true as a result of things I share today in my life and everybody listening in this room. God, if we need to be taught, would you teach us? If we need to be rebuked because of behavior or attitudes, then rebuke us. God, would you correct all of us in ways that we're just not where you want us to be? And would you train us in righteousness that we might be thoroughly equipped? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In your pew Bible, if you're there, it's page 926. But let me read um, Acts 17, starting in verse 16. Paul in Athens. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, we may, or may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious. For I passed, as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship... I found also an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the earth, the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think 
that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed in, by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among who are Dionysus, the Areopagite, <laughs> what I don't even know how to say it, and, I, um, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. So thanks for bearing with. I know it's a, a, a long section, but it really centers around the same, same thing, um, Athens. So I want to talk about five quick points. So for the kids to know, point one, Paul took the initiative. You know, Paul was taking the initiative. He answered the call to go, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples. This was the thing that Paul was doing from the very start. You know, from the, the time he uh, met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And even in the Galatians passage, I don't know if you caught, but he said of the Galatians, you would have even plucked out your eyes and given them to me. I have a hunch that the thorn in Paul's side was he didn't have good eyesight because God blinded him um, on the road to Damascus. Just a little side note, but I think that's kind of a cool thing that they would be willing to even pluck their eyes out for Paul. Now, you see, he goes to the Athenians. You know, he had been traveling and traveling and traveling, the missionary journeys. Steve had the maps up on the screen. And so we know Paul was going. He took the initiative. But then when he went, he didn't just sit back. He was in Athens. The other you know, followers of his and his disciples and his counterparts were not with him at the time, but he, he walked around the city. He took note of things. He, he took the initiative. He steps into the synagogue. That was his custom, right? And then he even goes to the marketplace. And then there's some people that say, hey, we want to hear a little bit. And he talks with them. He's taking the initiative. All of their interest or disinterest is because he stepped in. You know, he was... I think of 1 Corinthians 9.16 where he was so compelled to preach. He couldn't help it because of his relationship with the Lord. Colossians 1.28, To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works within me. It was God's energy, God compelling him. You know, and I think of earlier in Acts, if you observe, um, there's this concept of being filled with the Spirit. But then you flip a page in another chapter early in Acts and it says, and they were filled with the Spirit. And they were, you know, if you're full, aren't you not full? But God wants us to continually be renewed with this Spirit empowerment, saying, God, I need your Spirit. Help me. And you see that over and over and over. And the pattern is they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke the Word of God boldly. And so we need the Spirit to help us. This is very important. I try to live a godly life. I try to be led by the Spirit every day. Uh, just last, just Thursday, um, I had dinner. Um, I was in Madison doing some work with a colleague of mine who works with Bridges International, taking some younger um, international students. I took an Ind Indonesian believer out, and we just walked around the engineering building where students were studying and we randomly went up to people and asked them questions on a questionnaire. And I picked the ones that aren't totally engrossed in their, in their computers or, or in conversation. And we had a couple conversations with people. And then we went off and just debriefed and said, what, what was that like? And you could see that the girl was interested at first, the first person we approached, but then when it got toward a spiritual question, she, you could tell she was kind of done, and we respectfully 
said, you know, that was the last question. Thank you for your time. This helps us know what types of subjects we bring or outings we do or programming we bring on campus. And the next guy, we had a better conversation, and he, he was more engaged. But he wasn't, didn't have a spiritual background. He was Chinese. Um, but I met a pastor for dinner after that, so I was in Madison. I digress sometimes, so sorry. Um, so we had um, dinner together, and, and we try to connect from time to time. And we have our waitress, and, you know, I like to, I, I'm pretty outgoing, so I, I take risks. And so this young waitress, and she takes our order, and you, you could tell there was just a, a comfortableness between us, you know, you don't want anything to drink. No, well, I'll actually have the same as he has, decaf, but make sure, you know, could I have some cream? You know, and, and, and I said, well, you know, if I need to, you know, kind of shout at you for something, what's your name? You know, and he goes, and the, my pastor friend goes, he's not going to shout at you. And, and she said, well, my name's Heaven. And I said, oh, really? Is that your given name? She says, yes, it is. And I said, well, that's an awesome name. And I said, well, thanks for serving us tonight, you know, and so she went off to get our drinks. Well, then a little bit later, I said, you know, are you, I, I pick up an accent. And she says, well, yeah, I'm from Arizona. And she's got a pretty good southern accent from Arizona. And, and, and I said, well, what are you doing up here? And, well, my boyfriend and I live up here. And, and, I, and so we got talking. I said, well, do you go to church? I said, because he's a pastor and, and I'm a college minister. And she says, well, no, not really, but he'll go when we go visit his, par- or his parents and grandparents in Chicago because his grandparents are pastors. I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. And I said, well, do you live like close where you work here? She says, no, I live further northwest. I said, oh, well, his church is northwest. I said, would, if he wrote some information down, would you take it? And she says, yeah, that'd be great. So who knows what's going to happen? Here's a girl that's living with her boyfriend not going to church, and I could have pointed out that she's not living with her boyfriend, and that's not a good thing, but I didn't do that because I was just trying to apply what I'm teaching you, right? And she seemed very favorable to that, so I'm hoping she reaches out to him and, and checks out his church. You know, yes, I live this out on campus working with international students. Elisa lives it out working with American students, leading them to reach out to their friends. You know, I... I serve in my church. I go to nursing homes and do chaplain work to just try to, to bring the good news to people and challenge them to invite more people to come and hopefully we can reach out to more. I do this with my neighbors um, and also in basketball. I still play basketball. I'm the oldest guy in the court most of the time, but I hold my own and maybe even do better. Um, I can play, but we do devotion sometimes because it's in my church and I'm like, hey, we're going to be here. So every once in a while, we just gather the guys up, do a little devotion. We, we pray. Sometimes guys, you know, that are farthest from the Lord, they'll say, well, you can pray for my dad. He's going through this or that. Like, and we do. And then you try to follow up with those conversations. But it's all on the initiative side of things. If we didn't initiate that, if I didn't initiate those devotions and that prayer time, those guys would never bring up a prayer request. There's a guy named Ryan. So we play basketball, we have a great banter, we get on the same team. So, um, you know, we've, we've eaten meals together now. He's played pool with me. Um, he asked me to come over to his house and help him do some um, remodeling in his bathroom because he knows I'm handy that way. These things come up and more conversations going to come. The last time we played pool, I followed up on a spiritual conversation and he says, yeah, I want to talk about this more and I think I'm going to check out church with you. So second point, and the, the, these will go quicker. Um, Paul understood his audience. You see him walking around. You see him see the statues. You know, he, 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 sees, you know, he sees enough statues out of the thousands. He sees one to an unknown God. Well, now that's really awesome. Because if he didn't see that one, you know, that's a pretty easy in. He says, well, you, you worship something as unknown. I know this unknown God and I'm going to proclaim it to you. So he calls them very religious. He sees the unknown God. He quotes their own philosophers. He says, your philosophers say we are God's offspring. And then he uses that and he says, 
But if we're God's offspring, then we're, we're alive, and God is alive. He's not a statue made by men, gold, silver, or stone. So he complimented them, quoted their own philosophers. You know, he was a, he was a student of their culture, and I think we can do the same in our culture. Know what the world believes. You know, read, read some books or articles. Listen to a podcast from completely different perspectives. It's going to be eye-opening. It might be shocking. You might not like it. You might totally disagree with it. But you have an idea of what other people think. And if you're talking to them, you say, yeah, I was listening to that. And they'd probably look at you like, you're a Christian. You listen to that? You're like, well, it's important. You know, I want to know. You know, I think of, uh, I don't know if, we had an old 45, big console player, record player of the 45, and I remember this old record. Um, the Cavaliers, well, actually it was recorded in 61 by uh, Wayne something, but then the Cavaliers redid it. And, and then Pearl Jam just redid it more recently. Pearl Jam, it's like a modern-day rock band, and, and they do this old song, and it's the one where it's, um, where, oh, where would my baby be? The Lord took her away from me. She's gone to heaven, so I got to be good. So I can be, see my baby when I leave this world. Right? Well, I, I listen to stuff like that, and then I'm like, well, the theology sucks in that song. Right? We don't get to heaven, you know, if we're good enough so he can see her. And then secondly, if he's going to heaven to see her, he kind of misses the point of heaven. It's about our Savior, Jesus, right? But I hear that, and I can walk into basketball or talk to my neighbor or talk to a student and say, man, Pearl Jam did an old, like, teen song. That's kind of odd. Have you heard that? And if they have, I say, what do you think about it? What do you think about those words? And it creates a conversation. And then and I say, well, I disagree with, well, it's just a song. And I'm like, but they're talking about God, you know, and you can, you can build on that. Understanding and relating to people in the culture, even if they're far from Jesus, I want you to know a couple of things. And I'll touch on these verses a little bit later, but they are created in the image of God. And God is at work in their lives. Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of all people. God is at work in their lives. Romans 1, it says, it is undeniable through looking at the cosmos, looking at creation, that God created it, that there is a creator God. And we are without excuse, because we know. So, third point, God is not far from anyone. You know, Paul tells them that there's a God who created everything. From one person, he created all people. You know, the, he, he fills them in on the, the bigger picture of the gospel from creation on. And then he talks about Jesus and the resurrection. But God is not far from anyone. You know, the, the, the part I want you to, to catch from this, and I think it's, to me, it touches me the most out of this whole passage. It says that, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually not far from each one of us. That's verse, verses 26 and 27. The NIV puts it, he set the times set for them in the exact places where they should live because that's the best environment for them to know God. And let me tell you this, it's hard to believe that when I'm talking to a Chinese person on campus in a communistic country where they are persecuted, it's not good to be a Christian there. There's a lot happening. God is doing amazing things. But, you know, you think being born in China like 20 years ago is the best thing for that person to know Jesus? That seems odd. But it's exactly what the scripture says. And I had a, a young Chinese um, student tell me about, his name is Michael, and he told me about um, how you know, he came to the U.S., he came to college here, 
and then rather than as the only child get a great job and take care of his parents and four grandparents, um, he chose to intern with Bridges International and become a missionary and raise support. And then he's like, did I make the right choice? He says, I'm the only Christian in my family. Should I not be in China? And so I shared this verse with him. And I said, God has placed your parents in China the exact times they were born in the exact place in China where they live because it's the most opportune time and place for them to find Jesus. That's what the scripture says here. I want you to be encouraged by that. And I'm going to share a couple stories in relating to it. Now, Bill Bright, he was the founder and president of Campus Crusade for Christ for a long time until he died. He always signed off his emails, his letters, um, yours for the fulfillment of the Great Commission in this generation. He had a heart and mind to reach everyone. And then he said this, and it, it never leaves me. He says, if you're in the presence of someone for more than five minutes, consider it a divine appointment. Listen to that. If you're in the presence of someone for more than five minutes, consider it a divine appointment. So if you've lived in your house for more than five minutes, your neighbors are divine appointments God has called you to reach. And he will provide ins for conversation. He will make it happen because God placed them in that house in the time they should live so that they would, as the scripture says, um, they would seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. I want to tell you about two Chinese girls. Two Chinese freshman girls. So um, there was, we do summer missions all over the world. So right now it's tough and tenuous with COVID. But right now um, in China, they're really, really clamping down on mission work. All the missionaries have pulled out. Either in the middle, they're going to the Middle East or other countries, or they're back in the U.S. working in other capacities. Um, and you know, I was told by some missionaries that I'm taking some Chinese training from that the front line of Chinese ministry is American universities right now, the work that I'm doing, because that's where you can reach Chinese people because you can't reach them in their own country right now, at least as missionaries. God is doing awesome stuff. You heard from Pastor Steve, um, I don't know, last week or the week before, but what, he, what God is doing in Iran to reach people through dreams and visions. Well, God is reaching thousands and thousands uh, every month in China uh, through the underground church. But God wants to use us, so don't... don't and I don't, don't want to let you off the hook, but two Chinese girls. So there's a summer mission. Um, this is back in like 2000. Rebecca was uh, an American student, uh, a young staff at that time. We, she used to be on our staff team, Rebecca Sorges. And, and so... They're, the, the American missionaries are over there, but they're taking language school in the morning, but then they're dispersing and going on campuses to try to strike up conversations and then hand those interested students off to the long-term missionaries. Well, two Chinese girls were majoring in physics, and their physics professor told them about the, small, the smallest known particle, the quark. So they asked the professor about the origin of this subatomic matter, and they were not satisfied with the answer. He couldn't tell them. So during the summer, they met Rebecca, who was one of the women on the summer mission team. And they said, if not inconvenient, I would like to ask you a question. I would like to ask you about God. So they explained that as a result of pondering the universe, they concluded that there must be a God. Every night for a year, these two roommates would talk about God then they even compiled a list of what they believed must be true of God, although they did not know who he was. Whenever they met a person who might know of a God, they read the list. Knowing that Rebecca was an American, might know something, they presented her the following list. And I'm going to scroll up on this list, and this is the first thing they came up with. There is a God who created. Imagine this. Two Chinese girls, because they hear of a tiny little particle, microscopic, subatomic particle, and they're not satisfied with it, it just happened. They stay up every night, you know, and talk 
for a year. Now, I don't know what the city lights are in China. They're probably not seeing the cosmos like we get to see sometimes, you know, in smaller cities and, or out, in, you know, we can get to the country pretty easy. But they, for a year, they would talk about this. I just think about that. God is at work. God is not far from anyone. He's not far from your neighbors and your family and friends. And we need to persist in prayer. We need to initiate with people. We need to talk to them about Jesus. The second observation, God must have great power. The third, there must be only one God because of the balance and harmony in the world. God must love beauty considering beautiful purple flowers and be very funny considering the kangaroo. And I'm like, I, I think they're right. God must be very fair all the time. And then, you know, this is their list, right? To me, that looks like straight out of the Bible. And they've never read a Bible. They don't know God, know who he is. But they know this. And after reading the list, they added two more things they called God desires. Things they wished were true of God, but they weren't sure. They were sure about these five. It's like, wow. But they weren't sure about these two. Oh, this is just the total list. A little bigger so you see it. I wish that God not hate me. They knew God was fair, so he must hate them. But they hoped he would tell them what they could do. Think about that. And their last, their second God desire. I wish that God, or I wish God to know me, then I'd perhaps not be so lonely. I mean, how can they have this so deeply rooted in their hearts and their minds just from pondering what God must be like? I mean, this is, this is the gospel. God is not far from them in an atheistic country where they, they haven't heard about him. But God's not far from anyone. The fourth point, I'll jump through these two fairly quickly, but Paul shared the gospel the truth of Jesus. God didn't, uh, Paul did not compromise on what he talked about. He, you know, he, he, he said, you ought not to think about this anymore, you know, what you are doing with these idols. Hey, I, I, I overlooked your ignorance before. You need to repent. There's a judge. Jesus was raised from the dead. We heard earlier in, in this passage where he talked about the resurrection. He talked about Jesus. He talked about creation and God creating all things. So Paul, Paul's very honest about the gospel. He doesn't shy away from talking about Jesus. But you see how he got to that, how he lovingly approached them and complimented them. You know, it was a, a Four Spiritual Laws yellow booklet that my friend Mike Morgan shared with me that led me to Jesus. I knew the first three points. God loved me and offered a wonderful plan for my life. I grew up in church. I kind of heard that. I got it. That I was sinful and separated from God. I don't think I bore the weight of that, but I knew that in my head. Um, that Jesus Christ was God's only provision for my sin, and through him alone could I know and experience God's love and plan for my life. I knew that. I didn't know I needed to receive Jesus, that fourth point. I didn't know I needed to make a decision. I thought, well, my grandparents went to church, my parents went to church, my family. And when I received Jesus, when I submitted myself to him and surrendered, my life changed. We need people like that, and we need to be those people for others. Point five, Paul saw some fruit. Paul saw some fruit. Some of them mocked him, we read, right? Right? Some of them said, we want to 
hear you again about this subject. And then some of them became followers and believed. Dionysus, Demarius, and it says, and others. We can't control the responses of people. We can control how loving and sensitive we're. You know, First Peter tells us to share the gospel with gentleness and respect. We can do that. First Corinthians teaches, or three six teaches us that our responsibility is to plant and water, but God is the one who causes the growth or the result. Uh, Bill Bright, going back to him, you know, I, I get a lot of. You know, I, I kind of was groomed as a brand new believer under, you know, his example of witnessing. And he said, successful witnessing, witnessing is this, taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, leaving the results to God. So we can take the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, asking God to empower us, and leave the results to him. That sounds doable and, and I hope that as you hear this you know that the backdrop is already laid God has placed eternity in the hearts of everybody God has shown by his creation that every person has some idea of who God is you know that that God has placed people in the times they lived in history in the countries or the where they lived on this planet because that was the exact perfect time for them to know him and when we know that, talking to people, if we do it with gentleness and respect, it's a lot easier. We can go from fear to faith in this. I want to finish with just uh, two little um, stories, but I think this might fascinate you. So leading a couple of guys, young Chinese believers in Madison, because I go there every other week and help out, and... So these, they're just eager to learn. And so going through kind of an introduction to the Bible and then, um, then the fall of man, you know, the big stories, right? Then the flood, you know, God kind of being sad of all the rampant sin, uh, but he saved eight. Um, then um, Abraham and the sacrifice, but which foreshadows Jesus being the Lamb of God. Well, let me share some Chinese with you. I'm very bad at it. Okay, can you see that? Chuan, oh. Chuan, I think, it, but it's the Chinese word for boat. Okay, now when I see, I'll scroll up a little bit, when I see the word boat in English, if you see the word boat in English, what do you see? Boat, right? Right? I don't see the word oat, or I don't see the word at, or I don't rearrange the letters and see bat. You know, I see the word boat. That's all I see. Chinese people see this character and they see the word boat. Makes sense. But I know there's three characters in this. And so I ask them. Now, a non-Christian Chinese person, this wouldn't work for. Because they have no reference point. But these new believers, as we're studying, I said, what does that mean? I said, write the word boat in Chinese. And they're writing it down. And I says, now, if you were to take the parts out, what, what does that mean? And I did this as we concluded the study on the flood. Eight in the mouth of a vessel. That's the Chinese word for boat. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like Noah's flood. Right? The ark. Eight. Mouth or people in a vessel. And one of these guys, just he looked at me, he goes, how did I never see this before? Now he couldn't have. Because he just sees the, character, the, the completion of the characters. But this was 700 B.C. in ancient Chinese language. And they use more modern Chinese, kind of like if we use King James compared to like NAS, you know, it's like we don't use the these and thous. So I had to help them break it apart, right? And then 
Here's another. Yi. It means righteousness. Yi. Now you know some Chinese. Yi. Right? Well, what does righteousness mean? Well, I brought this one up when we were studying Abraham and Isaac in the sacrifice and Jesus being the Lamb of God. Can you see that? So the top one is Lamb. The bottom character is me. Lamb over me means righteousness. Do you think God is, is in all cultures and trying to reach every person and he's not far from anyone? He's not. The lamb over me is righteousness. Is that not the gospel truth? And so I want you to be encouraged that God is at work in your neighbors and friends and family members. I still wrestle with that concept because my family members are not close to Jesus. You know, my brothers and sisters, my parents, churchgoers, devout, maybe, but not Christ followers, haven't received Christ. I keep trying, but God's not far from them. He's using other people. He's using me. He's using my wife. Her, parent, her brother came to Christ because she shared with him. Her, parents, her dad comes to Christ because, you know, we took him to a Promise Keepers event years ago. We find out her mom, we found out, what, two years, three years ago, her mom came to Christ because of our wedding. We shared the gospel at our wedding. It's worth the effort. So Paul took the initiative. We can take the initiative. Paul understood his audience. We can be students of the culture and the people around us. God is not far from anyone, and let that really, really encourage you and motivate you. We can believe that, we know it's true in Scripture, and we can share our faith. Paul shared the gospel, the truth of Jesus. We can share the gospel, the truth of Jesus, and be honest and bold, but sensitive and loving. And Paul saw some fruit, and we will see some fruit, and we can rejoice in that. God, thank you for this time. Uh, thank you that we can trust you and your word and follow it. And I pray that we're encouraged and that we will be a little, more, little bit more emboldened to share with others around us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it a lot.